Look, I, I, like that's easy for you to say, Sean, but who's gonna arrest the guy? Like, yeah, yeah. Those hip thrusts, those hip thrusts are are dangerous, you know. I... Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. If we seem a little under the weather, if we don't seem to be concentrating, don't worry, we're we're, we're just asleep. Please don't kick us off the plane. So, hey, Connor here. We've got Ronan. Hello. And we've got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any crack? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, the cat is on the mend and the World Cup is on TV, so it's, uh, it's not been bad at the moment. Um, the football is improving in quality the World Cup as it goes along well I presume they get rid of some of the teams as they go right well yes (laughs) football will improve remarkably in the next week or so but at the moment the the still in teams are also performing better than they did yeah but we're Um, now missing the epic 10 o'clock to 9 o'clock football days you know they're over Yes, I did hear a couple people complain. So Honestly, you... I only did like one or two, and I was like, this is just too much football. I would rather just <laughs> watch games that I want to watch. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. What about yourself, running any crack? Uh, not too much, tipping away at work, you know, getting into nearly December now. and probably be December time you listen to this. Uh, went to see the Glass Onion, I talked about that last week, and uh, yeah, it was really good. Uh, so if you like Knives Out, you'll definitely like that. It was only out for a couple of days, though, so it's already out of the cinema, but it's on Netflix, I think, either now or very soon. No, I think uh-huh. I think they're holding off until the day before Christmas Eve, aren't they? Oh, really? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so they're, like, they're putting it out to be the Christmas film, I think. Ah, well, that makes sense, like, I suppose, to compete with whatever mm. Disney thing I assume they do this year. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah we saw that and then uh, finished up Andor on the TV at uh, the weekend there as well. That was pretty good. So good. I heard very good things about that, actually. I heard that it was like the best thing since Rogue One, which I think was probably the best of all the more recent films. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a very different tone. It's a very much going back to like a more 70s-esque kind of dystopia sci-fi type of thing, which is kind of weird when you think of all the other Star Wars happens and stuff since, happens since then, and Star Wars is the kind of thing that killed off that. But yeah, very, very good, um, really interesting, and kind of, yeah, it, it happens in the same universe as Star Wars and all the rest of it, but it's very different tone and very enjoyable. Definitely worth a watch. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, not been up to, to too much myself down here. We put up the Christmas tree, so we're getting in the festive mood, watch the toy show. Uh, so, yeah, getting ready for Christmas, proper, proper. And then I think, if uh, Sean, you're coming up this way on the weekend, aren't you? I am, yeah. We're going to uh, shop for wedding suits. And, mm. uh, yeah. We're going we're gonna to do one of those montages where Sean, keeps, where Sean keeps coming out of like the dressing room in different outfits, and we give thumbs up and thumbs down. It's going to be uh, very exciting. Um, I hope they give you champagne like they do in the wedding dress fittings on the on the films. That'll be that'll be very fancy. But uh, we should demand it. We should refuse to, to buy buy anything until they give us champagne. <laughs> just bring our own. Just swilling buckfast as we try on suits. Uh, very good. I suppose we'll move on and have a look at some of the uh, some of the news around the league this week. Um, so I think I mentioned at the top there, uh, controversy corner Odell Beckham Jr. has been caught up in a little bit of controversy so they kicked everyone off a plane and took him off it after he refused to leave the plane when he was found with no seat belt on him when he was asleep with a towel over his head he maintains he was just asleep and that it's all like the 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 the, the air host person trying to you know show that they're in control and had the power to do it to him the initial reports from the airline side was that 
he seemed out of it and they were worried that he was ill and he'd get further ill while on the flight. Um, this is obviously not a great time for this to happen as he's doing a little free agency tour to see where he's going to land with Dallas and New York Giants both strongly linked to him. Um, Dallas in particular have been pushing hard to try and get him in. Um, it's not a great look. And the thing is, it is America, so I could completely see that it could just be someone who's a bit racist and decides, well, I want to kick the black guy who's asleep off my flight. But also... Like we've seen enough stories as well about the players who go on the flights and they, you know, they take sleeping drugs to knock themselves out and maybe he was a little bit out of it or whatever. But um, yeah, just all a bit of a mess for a chap who's currently trying to find a job, right? Yeah, but I mean, it sounds like the reports coming from the Cowboys that they don't care that much. I think there was a quote from Jerry Jones there this afternoon saying he's a really good fit for the Cowboys and we don't care what happened, blah, 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 blah. So they can um, bring him so on their own planes. Actually... So. <laughs> yeah, it's easier to monitor when you're in control of the flights. Uh, I don't know. It's a story. It's kind of. It sounds a little bit like a. It's not a he said, she she said, but a he said they said story. I mean, no one really knows what's going on. It seems a little bit strange, but uh, I think it'll be the kind of thing where it's all forgotten about in a week's time. The way it seems to be going. Yeah, like, I think everyone's a, li- a little bit of an asshole here, but I think there was a, probably a certain point where he could have just agreed to get off the plane and not force everyone else in the plane yeah. to get off, so he could be escorted off. Um, that just felt a little bit petty by him, but like I suppose that wouldn't exactly be out of character for Odell Beckham. So no. even though there might be legitimate grievance here, and he certainly is standing up for himself on Twitter and stuff like that, uh, many people are doing that these days. But you know, at a certain point, you could just let everyone else fly off. You're not getting back on a plane into America once once the security theater kicks in. There's no going back. Yeah. yeah. Ah oh, well, sure. Look, like you said, we probably won't know too much more about this story afterwards unless something else comes out about it later on. So, um, yeah, we'll move on. Crime and punishment. What are they doing? It's probably felonies. Arizona offensive line coach Sean Coogler has been fired by Arizona after groping a member of hotel security on Sunday night before the Arizona Monday night football game in Mexico in week 11. Obviously, this is against a backdrop of, you know, I will say tumultuous period within the league for the amount of this kind of shite that's been going on. Obviously, we have the stuff that's going on in Washington. We have Deshaun Watson, who I suppose we'll have to mention is coming back this week into the league. Um, This is something that they are being much more stringent on. That's good to see. Uh, It was, you know, very quick response from them. They obviously know they can't be putting up with this stuff at all. Um, Yeah, like, I think good response from 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 the team to just kind of very quickly sort it out like this. Yeah, like, I think it's a situation where I assume there's already there was very strong evidence, and I assume people were around when this occurred. Um, yeah. Obviously, it involves hotel security. It probably happened in a, quite a public place in the foyer or something similar. And the team has taken a decisive stance and, and made the appropriate change. And yeah, I think that's probably good going forward. Like we know, it you know it's always tough to believe that change only comes when bad things happen and controversies occur. But at least if there's some change that comes out of the type of things that's happening with Deshaun Watson and stuff like that, at least that's somewhat of a positive side effect even if it's definitely not worth the cost yeah 100 uh some transactions and movements around the league so jacksonville have signed running back Darrell henderson this comes after he was cut by the la rams uh trying to bolster the backfield that's had some injuries they, they must have been of. listening to you last week on the podcast connor right oh i told you told you and uh kansas city have mm-hmm. also signed running back melvin gordon to their practice squad after he was chopped off by the broncos uh they say he's likely to be elevated to a roster spot in the near future again this is coming after uh, an injury to the running back there uh i hope to christ he doesn't end up playing for us although it does feel very much like a andy reed move to just put him in for the game against the broncos and have him score three touchdowns against them <laughs> and then just not use him the rest of the year because uh, well, i do you know like, I, uh... You have but like yeah. five running backs used at any given game, so 
Yeah, I think it's it's, well, the big one is CEH is out for a couple of weeks now with that ankle injury. So this is kind of, you know, this is, I'm is, not sure. Is Melvin Gordon really the best available running back though? Jesus. I mean, that's uh, yeah, probably. But think, like he's also, he's, 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 he's like fourth on the depth chart even now and he'll be fifth once the other guys are back. So Look, like, if he could avoid yeah. fumbling and maybe it's a coaching issue in Denver, you never know, it's a terrible team. Um, then he's fine. He's like not. He's not where he was like a few years ago, but he's fine. Like I did... need someone just to 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 spell Isaiah Pacheco in terms of like just the tough carry between the tackles. He's fine yeah. as well. He's I did. I, I did. See, I did see someone online going like, you know, he'll get into Kansas City and we'll be like, have you tried just maybe holding onto the ball a bit harder? Because wow, why did they tell me this in Denver? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we'll see. If you, I... if you lose the ball, we lose possession. Oh my God, no one ever told me. <laughs> Wait, my actions have consequences um yeah so those are the kind of the 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 sightings as you said at this time of year it's only when people are caught that they get around to their uh injuries so kind of a couple of bigger injuries here uh la rams have lost wide receiver alan robinson he's got a foot injury and he's gone for the season defensive tackle a sean robinson has done his meniscus and he's gone for the season and aaron donald has injured his ankle and he's now week to week so the shambling corpse of the rams gets even more depleted. Uh, Chicago wide receiver Darnell Mooney is injured his ankle and he's going to be gone for the season and their safety Eddie Jackson has a Liz Frank injury, that bitch, and uh, he's likely gone for the season as well. And Minnesota cornerback Andrew Booth has torn his meniscus and he's likely gone for the season. So these are three teams that, like, okay, so the Rams, they're kind of gone. We were saying already it might be time to shut down the season. Um, This might be time for, like, if you know, if you want to get usage out of the likes of Donald down the line next year as well. Like maybe it's time to just you know, give them a bit of a break. Chicago, that's going to hurt. Like, you know, you want your wide receiver weapons. They're hoping to have quarterback back in They're you know, not really in the hunt anymore, but they're kind of, they're tipping away and they're kind of trying to do good and build some momentum. So they'll want to get back in Minnesota. Obviously losing Booth is going to hurt, but you know, they are playing surprisingly well at the moment and they are on a collision course with the playoffs uh, as it stands. And I don't think this injury will be the difference between them making it and not. Yeah. For the Rams, I think it's just a case that look, they're dead in terms of playoff consideration, but it's kind of how bad could things get? And then what influence that has over the future of that franchise, obviously, there's been retirement rumours around Aaron Donald, around uh, the coach Sean McVay, who got a bit of a nasty hit this week uh, from one of his own yeah. players. And, you know, they're, they're, and Matthew Stafford, of course, is currently still injured, so we don't know where he's going to be if he's going to play again this year. So I think for the Rams, it's just like, if it gets really, really bad, then I don't know how much that will play into people's consideration of that. And then for Chicago, like, look, they were a team a couple of weeks ago. They had Justin Fields destroying the world, all the great stuff. Now they lose Darnell Mooney. Fields is uncertain. Uh, for another week after missing last week, uh, going into their bye uh, next week. Eddie Jackson's a major part of their defense, and the defense has been taking a huge drop-off. So I think whatever sparks of hope Chicago had, like maybe three weeks ago, you can probably officially put out its misery. And yeah, Andrew Boot's been solid uh, as a young player from Minnesota in defensive back, but they have a pretty... They have one of those weird defensive backfields where nearly everyone's around the same level, so they can probably survive without this, and he may make it back if they're in the playoffs, which looks likely at this point. Yeah, a couple of other injuries from other spots in the league. So Aaron Rodgers has injured his ribs and his thumb, so he's uncertain for next week. And their safety, Daniel Savage, is week to week with a foot injury. Buffalo edge rusher Von Miller has injured his knee, and he's gone from anywhere between one and four weeks. Uh, And I think they said he will require surgery, but it's a question of does he do it this season or next. Uh, And their offensive tackle, Deion Dawkins, has injured his ankle, and he's week to week, so he's probably going to miss their Thursday night football game this week. San Francisco running back Elijah Mitchell has an MCL injury, so he's gone six to eight weeks, so he'll be headed to IR. And Christian McCaffrey has a knee injury, 
injury and is day-to-day. Uh, Philadelphia, God, I always hate whenever this injury happens. It just sounds so painful. Chelsea Gardner-Johnson has lacerated kidneys from a hit that he took. Uh, he's out indefinitely, but there's optimism he'll be back later this season. Yeah, whenever you get like hit so bad, something kind of essentially tears and pops. It's just not nice. That's one of the ones Andrew Luck got, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if it was his kidneys, but yeah, something was lacerated. I do remember that. Yeah, I, I can remember being compared to like, this is the kind of injury you usually get from a car crash. And it's like, yeah. Yes, and then we never saw Andrew Luck again. Well, we saw him one year, but... Uh... Yeah. Uh, t- <laughs> Tampa Bay offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs has injured his knee and he's out for three to four weeks. Miami offensive tackle Teron Armstead has injured his pectorals week to week and their offensive lineman uh, Austin Jackson has hurt his ankle and he's week to week. Uh, Chargers center Corey Lindsley has a concussion, so he'll be out for a week or two probably. Offensive lineman Trey Pickens MCL is day to day and New York Jets running back Michael Carter has injured his ankle and he's now week to week. So this is a mixed bag of, you know, pack it up till next year and concern for people trying to push up obviously the green bay stuff isn't great but we're roughly at the point where we might consider that they might just park aaron Rodgers and start seeing what they have in jordan love or something like that at this point um buffalo losing vaughn i think is a big one because he's actually been playing incredibly well for them and uh you could even see in the game this week and we'll talk about later like him being out like you could see the difference in their pass rush with them not being there. So as obviously an offensive tackle is never something you want to be missing here. Um, the rest of these I think are mostly weatherable. Like Miami, you don't want to be missing two offensive line starters, but like, yeah, like and sim- similar for the Chargers. But again, they're kind of week to week. They're not season endings, which are which is a positive at least. Uh, but the rest of these are kind of like the Jets are going to hurt with the running back. But I think Carter was kind of slotting into the number two behind the chap they traded for from the Jags, right? For me, the, the big one is Von Miller. I think uh, he, as you said, he's such a huge part of that defense. And uh, I mean, the fear was looking at the, the TV in, in real time that he that could have been his season. And Tony Romo was certainly talking up the, the Bills prospects going down the toilet if they lost. He, call, he called him his, their, their closer, that the guy who turns up in the big moments to do what mm. needs to be done. And certainly he demonstrated last year with the Rams that he's very useful in that role and a very important part of any championship team. So him missing the rest of the... Regular season, not great. It probably hurts their chances of being the number one seed, which is what they really <laughs> probably need to, to have in order to, to have a clean one at the Super Bowl. But if he's back for the playoffs and he's in, in back on form and healthy, then, yeah, it probably isn't a huge – it's not a biggest loss that potentially it, it could have been. Yeah, I think, look, Aaron Rodgers, look, he could very well have played his last game for – Green Bay, he's saying he wants to keep playing. He says he wants to keep playing as long as they're not, they're mathematically still alive. And they're very much just mathematically alive at this point, let's be honest. Uh, but, you know, they saw some promising plays from Jordan Love. The team overall, it, you know, they're tied to in terms of finances, but they can probably find someone to trade him to next season. And, yeah, he picked up that ab- ribs injury, uncertain, like uncertain in terms of how severe that is. And he's been playing with a avulsion fracture in his thumb which has been apparently very painful and probably has been affecting his, his accuracy. So big questions there. I think for San Francisco, having both Elijah Mitchell uh, definitely out for like basically the rest of the regular season and, and possibly the, some of the playoffs, definitely a bad situation when you lose your depth there, particularly CMC has some what was quote-unquote called knee irritation, which meant he was in and out of the game um, last week. I expected he'll play, but he may be spelled by someone like Tevin Coleman or Jordan Mason. Um, to make sure he's not used up too much and they're kind of dealing with Debo Samuels dealing with his own injury stuff as well so you know a, a couple of weeks ago San Francisco best offensive league now San Francisco all injured again uh, plus, a, plus a challenge I suppose 
Um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, definitely a, a loss for Philly. He's had a number of interceptions this year. He's been very good for them. Lacerated kidney, they're optimistic he comes back. But we'll see about that, to be honest. I think the rest of these, Tristan Wurst, Ron Armstead, Austin Jackson, Corey Lindsley, Trey Pipkins, I think you're completely right. The big thing is that they're not done for the season. Tristan Wurst, in particular, had to be carted off. I think that looked like a season-ender. Tampa Bay... They're in the worst division in football, so they have a chance to make the playoffs even with Tristan Wirfs out, but do expect uh, things to get tougher for Tom Brady the rest of the season. And Miami, don't underestimate how difficult things could get uh, for Miami and Tua in particular, because they have a tough uh, set of games coming up for the next month or so. And Teron Armstead and Austin Jackson, the drop from them to their backups is one of the biggest in the league. And you saw Tua get sacked a lot when they went out of the game. Uh, this week, so something to keep an eye on, particularly this week as they play one of the defense, best defensive lines in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. And on, uh, I suppose I should probably just note as well, be coming up in the previews, but uh, we're now going to see the return of uh, Deshaun Watson this week. Uh, he has been let off his suspension. He'll be playing for the Browns, returning to play against his uh, team, the Texans, as well. Uh, yeah, this is, I, I still think this is a very bad look for the NFL. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like fuck those teams and fuck Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. Watson. Yeah. But uh poor Deshaun Jackson. The Browns are do? basically <laughs> dead. Yeah, they are. Like I think yeah, like there's I think they've an outside shot, right? Yeah. Uh, they probably they're have tech- to win out or something, wouldn't they? Yeah. yeah, they have to win out and in the AFC I I personally don't think that would be enough. Yeah. Um they're in with a back end shot, but in the AFC it's very, very tough to see them getting it done. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll be talking about playoff considerations in a few weeks so we'll, hopefully we, will, we don't yeah. have to talk about them at that point and they'll be like well they're gone and we don't have to worry about that and look he hasn't played in like over two years so yeah, he could very much come back and look terrible so. I think he said it was 700 days and remember as well when he played last he headed a absolutely terrible was a two win season like they were not good when he played last time now he was better than the team's overall record but yeah yeah I think like, they were 4-12 yeah yeah but it was brutal like it was not, not 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 very good so we'll see we'll see uh, you kind of love if he was just fucking dog shit wouldn't you <laughs> like it would just be yeah just it served the Browns right although it would still only be the second worst decision made in the offseason around a quarterback isn't that right Denver um, but yeah we'll discuss that at a later point let's move on and have a look at the games from last week <laughs> So first up, we have New England at Minnesota, a 26 to 33, kind of bit of a bit of a surprisingly close nail biter that I think many would say maybe New England should have been able to uh, to pull off in the end. Minnesota overcame New England as Jefferson put up 139 yards and a touchdown and kind of tore apart Belichick's defense. Cousins looked good because of this kind of performance of 299 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. Minnesota was helped by a special teams touchdown and. Did a couple of penalties. This Henry touchdown that wasn't a touchdown that you know looks almost exactly like a touchdown that was awarded two weeks ago to Travis Kelsey. These type of things maybe helped a little bit. Uh, Mac looked good, 382 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, they didn't get much on the ground in the game, and the red zone was not a place where they were finding much success, unfortunately. But it was also a thing where they kind of started with a bit of vim and vigor, and they just kind of started to slow down and just not be able to do anything in the back end. They had a lot of flags that didn't help, which is a bit unusual for a Belichick coach team. He's normally quite strong on those things. But, like, Sean, I'll come to you first on this one. Like, I would be watching this and, yes, look, on paper, given what they how they performed this year to date, Minnesota should have been winning this. But having watched this game, I came away from thinking this is one that New England lets slip through their fingers. Um, I mean, you can't, you can see it that way. And certainly the, the Henry touchdown catch and the NFL's weird 
rules about catching and breaking the plane, et cetera, et cetera. Is, you can make an argument. But I mean, I think, I don't think we learned a tremendous amount about the Vikings as a team. We came, at least for me, they, I, I came in with certain expectations and I came away with the same expectations. I, they, their offense is pretty good. This was a good test against a very solid Belichick defense. They they did some very nice things. There was some good aggression and, and pace in the play calling. They were did a lot of hurry up in order to minimize the adjustments Belichick could make. I mean, you got to credit Kevin O'Connell that that year he spent as a backup QB uh, in the Pats has, has taught him well about how to how to deal with the the Belichick system. And and I mean, the, obviously Justin Jefferson had a great game, and that they were you know that the the skill positions did quite well. But um, I mean, it's it was it was a good performance offensively in that sense. But I think you look at Kirk Cousins, and you still have the various questions there. I mean, a number of kind of sloppy passes from Cousins. He had a couple of nice ones too. He had one interception. He probably could have had a few more times that he should have been picked off. He's very careless when he gets under pressure. Um, so I don't think we learned an awful lot about the Vikings. We still, we know that their offense is good, but we know that Kirk Cousins is a liability. And on the defensive side, we, you know, this defense gave up 26 points to a pretty mediocre uh, Pats offense. And I'm willing, to, I'm willing to hold up my hand as a Pats fan and say this is not the best Pats offense that's ever been put out there. It might, in fact, be the worst Pats offense of the Belichick era. And yet this defense, this defense which wants to compete at the top level in the playoffs and wants to be, you know, getting into divisional playoffs and championship games and holding their own, looks like a serious liability uh, if they want to fight at that top level. I mean, the, the secondary was making some bad mistakes and blowing coverages. The front seven largely lost the upfront battle. They ended up with two sacks, but it took a while for them uh, to get them. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the Vikings, I'm like, I'm question. I, you know, I haven't changed my opinion on them. I think they, they're a decent team, probably a little bit better than last year. I think their coaching is, I, I've, you know, my, my, my opinion on their coaching has gone up a little bit uh, after this week, but I still think they've, liabilities in Kirk Cousins and liabilities on the defensive side. So not much has changed for the Vikings. And in terms of the off, the the Pats, again, not an awful lot has changed. Their offense is kind of crap, a little bit better than the last few weeks. But until they, until they get to the red zone, then it all crumbles apart and they have to rely on Nick Folk uh, kicking uh, field goals. It's a very bad sign when your offense, there's a, there's a statistical category where your offense is worse than every team in the NFL bar the Denver Broncos, which is the, the red zone conversion. They're 31st ahead of only the Broncos, which is a bad sign. Um, so the Pats, yeah, I mean, not much has changed there. Um, it's a it's a win the Vikings needed to maintain some sort of semblance of, you know, respectability after the Cowboys wipe off. But I don't think I don't think they've shown me that they're anything better than a second tier team. Yeah, I think that's that's fair enough. But I think. The fact that Mac Jones at least showed up, have decent statistics. He played well, particularly at the beginning of the game. 382 yards, two touchdowns. Yes, it wasn't perfect. And there's certain things that are still a little bit sloppy in that offense, like little details that they could certainly do like more effort in. And I think that's definitely showing up, particularly in the red zone, where obviously the windows become so much smaller. And, you know, I think it was good to see Hunter Henry at least being involved more in the red zone, even if the touchdown that he that never was ended up uh, being costly in the end. But I think overall, when the rush game's taken away, when the defense is getting blown out more or less, and the special teams is giving away touchdowns and making mistakes, and you're getting penalties, the fact that Mac Jones did show up, put 
to a large extent the team on his back and he kept this game competitive has to be a fill-up compared to where they were when there was controversy over whether it should be Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi at quarterback. So, you know, I think we know what Mac Jones can be. He, we saw he can be an effective quarterback last year. So at least see him have a somewhat of a comeback game when everything else around him was falling apart. I think that could be taken as a positive and then, you know, especially for the future of the team. And obviously this year they're still relevant for the playoffs as well. Um, they're, they're well in that hunt. Uh, but it was kind of uncharacteristic of New England, right? You have... You know, uh, you have like a punter roughing, you have giveaway special teams touchdowns. It's all the things that you don't expect the Belichick team to do. So, yeah, I think you have to give credit to uh, to the Vikings. And in particular, the Vikings, yes, Mac Jones started quite well, but they did seem to figure things out towards the end of it. So that adaptability is exactly the kind of thing they didn't really seem to have under Mike Zimmer in previous years. So while they're still have many of the same frailties they still have because they still have Kirk Cousins on, on the offense and the defense really isn't that special in terms of personnel. They just have more belief in themselves. They're just more of a positive vibe, similar to what we see with like Mike McDaniel in uh, Miami. There's just sometimes a coach cr- creates the culture where the team believes in itself and that makes up for a lot. And it doesn't hurt when you have Justin Jefferson. Like if Mac Jones had Justin Jefferson, they probably would have won this game. But Justin Jefferson these days is making Kirk Cousins win games even when he isn't playing at his best. And that's the kind of playmakers that you need when you don't have a Patrick Mahomes or, or a Josh Allen if you want to go all the way. And Minnesota, yes, they're frail, but like they're also have huge upside. So, you know, definitely a dangerous consideration during the playoffs, uh, even if it would take a lot of luck to, to probably make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, next up, Cincinnati at Tennessee, 20 to 16. Uh, Joe Burrow put together a lovely six-minute drive to finish off the game. He over 302 yards and a touchdown, including a roughing the kicker call to kind of lock it down. Uh, this was, you know, them playing quite short-handed. Jamar Chase was still out. Joe Mixon wasn't in with the concussion they had beforehand. So Higgins stepped up and over 100 and caught a touchdown. Sanjay Pirine had 93 yards, a touchdown, and still the best beard in the NFL, I reckon. Uh, and they all could have worked together. Well, since, since, since Ryan Fitzpatrick is gone, I suppose. Um, Tannehill did a fairly decent job, 291 yards, and Henry, 117 all-purpose. Although, what is surprising is that that was nearly all through the air. Um... Like they did an okay it was job. One play as well. Yeah, like this is this is the thing that's that's often lost whenever you do kind of you know the box score hunting of like you look at that and you go okay well like they didn't really handle Henry at all he had 117 yards. I was blown away by how good the Cincinnati run defense was in this game. They had a slight problem that their secondary was absolute dog shit. So you know they kind of gave up a lot through the air instead. But like. They had Derrick Henry, who was obviously going to run a lot. They held him to just a little bit over two yards a carry in this game. Like, that is huge to be able to do that. But then, as I said, you know, he is nearly 80 yards in the passing game. Like, they were giving up plenty to, to loads and loads and loads of players. I think it was 22 completed passes against them to a wide array of them, all going for big chunks for the most part. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was an interesting one because for... From my perspective, Cincinnati cracking job on the run defense. They showed good grit to be able to tough it out against what is a fairly good Tennessee defense. Like they were getting no separation on their receivers at all, and they eventually figured out what they were going to do. They also seemed to be like a lot of people are saying Cincinnati's O line did a great job in this game. I didn't think so from what I was watching it, although I could just be that I'm looking at it the wrong way. Yeah, like and don't forget that Tennessee's defensive line right now is very shorthanded, particularly at the edge spots. Yeah, but like I didn't feel that they were getting as much time as they were looking, and I also I definitely didn't feel that P. Ryan was doing as good in in, in pass blocking as as Mixon had been of late. Um, what I took away from this is one great grit from 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 Cincinnati to be able to kind of pull it together, and particularly that last drive was a lot more like the the you know the the Cincinnati that I'm expecting to see these days. But 
to me, it did look an awful lot like a team that... Now, it could just be the game plan and they just said, we're going to sell out absolutely everything to stop the run in this game. But to me, they look like a team that was going to get destroyed by a team that can actually pass effectively. Like, as much as Tannehill had 291 yards and got a couple of big completions up, like, they're not a pass-first team. They're not a pass-specialist team. If you put the Bills, you put the Chiefs, you put Jesus, like the Dolphins against them, this is a very different prospect. So, I don't know if this is a you know, uh, a defensive scheme that's going to work against some of the bigger dogs in the AFC um, is my concern. But it was a good win that they toughed out. In Tennessee, look, you're limited in what you can do. If your, your offense is your running back, and if they key in on him and stop him, like, yeah, like there was nothing really happening in it. There was nothing exciting from the Tennessee side of the ball, I thought. Yeah, I think that, but that's Tennessee's brand, right? Like, it's it's just who they are. They're one of the most solid teams in the league. They can beat you in any given week because they expect, if you don't play a good game, they will beat you because they're always going to come back and do exactly what they need to get some solid production from Henry. I'll be, in this case, as I said, inflated by one big play that ended up being the, the touchdown that was recovered by Traylon Burks. Um, and Tannehill, like, yes, look... We can have an argument about Tannehill, but I think he's looked better since he came back off the injury. Uh, but they are reliant on those kind of play-action, play big plays to guys like Burks and Woods. But that's how the, the offense is built, and the defense is similarly built around a really solid defensive line that makes life tough for quarterbacks. Um, and they did that job there. Like, Burrow had to really pull out all the stops to win this game. Um, obviously, missing Jamar Chase, a huge issue in terms of explosive plays. Uh, Mixon has gone there. So, as you said, bad and, bad and pass protection, also an issue in terms of just having someone who can run between the tackles. But the big thing you saw from Burrow is that he every time it looked like Tennessee was going to get pressure on him, he, stuck, he stood up. He made a pass to Higgins. He ran the ball himself, particularly in the first half. And then there was, like, a really key play uh, to um, Trenton Irwin um, late in this game, which was basically just literally the only place that him and Irwin could have hooked up along the sideline. Basically, Irwin was kind of tippy-toeing the, the, the catch. Like, that's the kind of plays that you get from Joe Burrow. And I think that's really, really promising for the Bengals because you're seeing, I think, in Joe Burrow, the same thing that we saw in the evolution of, say, Patrick Mahomes last year, where he's not now just reliant on having, you know, uh, Jamar Chase uh, make those big explosive plays, you know, just to hook it down the field, let them at it. Teams have caught, caught, come on to that stuff, uh, just in general across the league, but certainly against the Bengals. And the fact that he's having to d- dunk in, like, d- dice apart these defenses, and a solid defense in Tennessee, like with these short passes to T. Higgins, to Hayden Hurst, uh, getting some dump-offs to P. P- Ryan, as I said, running the ball with his own legs in the worst-case situation, that's the kind of evolution that will see him continue to be considered in the same tier. And I think I, I would definitely consider him in the tier same tier as the the Mahomes and the Allens of the league uh, he is one of those guys who just pulls his entire team up to an extra level of play and that means that in a game where they're against a really solid team like Tennessee they I kind of feel like they out Tennessee Tennessee in this game um, like you know both teams struggled to run the game because both teams uh, focused in on that but when the chips were down Burrow made the difference in this game. He's the reason they won. And then, you know, I think the most indicative of that is that six-minute drive that they had to basically kill this game off. That's the kind of thing you probably wouldn't have seen from Cincinnati last year. The fact you're seeing it this year, and even when they're missing guys for injury, that's the kind of thing that makes you think this is a team that could go very far, uh, would mm-hmm. go all the way after going to the, I suppose, uh, the Super Bowl last year. Like, it's a tough in the AFC with so many great teams, but certainly the Bengals have to be considered a big factor. Yeah, no, I, I agree that, that Burrow was the difference in this game. I thought it was quite a balanced game in terms of two teams that are closely matched, which probably a good sign for the Bengals, given they were missing the, their wide receiver one and their running back one and still matched a, a team that's looking like it's going to be the three seed. 
Um, and the difference was Burrow. The, he had an up and down game. I mean, he was only about 60% in terms of his completions, but he delivered when it mattered. He got them down the field and he got the, the touchdown plays when, when they counted, whereas Tennessee did not have that. Tennessee are a great kind of front-running team. They're a team that if they get a, a lead, there can be hard to stop and their defense can can step up when needed. But chasing a game, they don't have that big game player. Henry is not a, a game chaser. A running back is a very difficult weapon to use if you're chasing a, a, a deficit. Uh, and especially in a game like this, where he, it was a very weird game, as you, as you said, kept quiet on the ground, but he had a huge pass play that effectively ended in, in, a, in a touchdown, even though he wasn't the one who carried it uh, over the line. So the, the Titans, I think the Titans are going to be one of these 12 win teams that never does well in the playoffs because they just they're built to win regular seasons games, but they don't have that that game explosive game winner that is necessary in, in tight playoff games. Um, uh, basically, they don't have a good enough quarterback to, to win big big playoff uh, games. For the Bengals, I mean, yeah, it's it's a good kind of kind of psychological win because they need this because they're they were really tough schedule down the stretch. They're basically all the teams that they've left are playoff teams with the exception of the Browns who are going to be Deshaun Watson charged. So they really did need this win because it's going to be hard to see how many, many more they're going um, to pick up. Uh, T Higgins, I thought it a great game stepping up in Jamar Chase's absence, doing what was necessary. Uh, the the secondary suffered a little bit. They, they are missing a, a Wuzier who's the kind of the linchpin of that secondary. But I was surprised to see that Eli, Eli Apple did not suck all that much. He actually had some positive plays in this game, which which is a thing I don't think I've ever seen him, him do. So I'm, I'm up on the Bengals, even though it's going to be tough to see how many wins they're going to get. Will they get to 11 wins, which is probably what they're going to need to make the playoffs, is questionable. Although they might win the division if the Ravens are melting down, as they seem to be. On the other side, the Titans will make the playoffs, probably won't make much uh, of a... Of an impact, so I'd rather be a Bengals fan than a Titans fan, even if the season probably isn't going to work out uh, as well. Because with the Bengals, you do get the possibility of what we saw last year, which was the Super Bowl run and all the excitement that comes with that. Yeah. Uh, next up, Buffalo at Detroit, twenty-eight to twenty-five. Heartbreak for Detroit. Um, again, they kind of fought their way back. They tied the game up. And then a 23-second field goal drive absolutely destroyed them. Allen went for 253 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, plus nearly 80 on the ground and a touchdown. Um, yeah, Diggs, 77 yards. It was just, oh, it was, it was, it was so sad to see. Um, Allen had, yeah, had had a little bit of an up and down game to that point, uh, but yeah, just absolutely kind of locked in. Said, I'm gonna, I remember seeing this. When we played the Chiefs that time, we can do a quick we can do a quick display as well, and uh, showed that he also has it. Detroit kind of linked on a fairly solid game out of Goff, 240 yards, two touchdowns, and a fumble, um, with Abon Ra getting a touchdown and over 100 yards. But you know they had two turnovers, they had a safety, they missed a field goal, they had a lot of flags, they had a couple of questionable decisions about clock management, as well. Um, yeah, it was a little bit. A little Details bit, matter, man. Details matter. They do. It's a little bit scrappy from them. And again, I think we've constantly come back to this of like Detroit are so close to being there, but there's little bits of like how you manage the tail end of a game, like what you do structurally that they kind of just seem to slip on a little bit. And all it needs is just, just put someone in the booth upstairs who has, you know, a, a line down to him to say, look, take your time out now or whatever. But um, yeah, look, a, a close run thing for Detroit uh, for Buffalo. I think they're very happy getting out of this with the win the way they did, because to be honest, the way that fourth quarter went, I would have been, 
half thinking that Detroit might have been able to pull it out if it went to overtime, to be honest. Um, and then Buffalo just decided to actually, no, fuck it. We've got 23 seconds. We'll remember how to play and just, you know, shoot their way up to a field goal and and, and pop it away. It was uh, an impressive showing in the fourth quarter. It's a, you know, game that for a team that's held as, you know, the top of the power rankings for most people at the moment, uh, you shouldn't be, you know, requiring that to beat Detroit. Like, I love Detroit, but you shouldn't be requiring a 23-second catch up to to beat Detroit um but the important thing as we say quite often in these kind of championship runs Sean is you have to be able to win the tough games you have to do the shitty games sometimes and still come out with the win even if it's only by a small margin and that's what Buffalo did yeah no my my, my thinking would be I mean I, I can talk about the Bills and, and their problems a little bit but I think the main story of this game was the Detroit Lions and I, I think the Bills winning this game is a big sign of their to a certain extent of their championship credentials because they went into uh, a, a, a big primetime game against a, a, a reasonably on-form team that's got a hot crowd behind it and a lot of momentum, and they managed to just about squeak out the win, even though it looked at times as though they wouldn't. I mean, the Lions were... I mean, I'm, I'm glad that most of America got to sit down and actually watch the Detroit Lions because this kind of felt like their coming-out party. I mean, they're not going to make much impact this season. They're, they're, probably, they're probably a next-season or two-seasons-away kind of team but this team deserves a big stage. This is a primetime team. This is an explosive offense that's clicking together and does exciting things. And uh, a somewhat and rapidly improving defense as well that kind of demonstrates that maybe their deficiencies will start to go away um, after time. There, there's definitely something coming together here. And you wonder if the Rams are going to end up giving them a top five pick that they might be able to draft quite a good QB. Because I think that's the one position they're, they're lacking is at quarterback because obviously Jared Goff is... It's not up for what the Lions are, are capable of. But getting their big pieces back in terms of in terms of St. Brown and Swift, I think St. Brown scored his first touchdown in something like nine weeks in this game, definitely kind of showed that, that the offense is back clicking to where it was and they were able to fight it out against a, a top top NFL team for the entire four, quarter, four quarters. Uh, and on the uh, defensive side, they're, they're making some improvements. They have a, shuffled some personnel around. I mean... The commentators focused on Aiden Hitch Hodgson being moved to the non-tight end side of the defensive line, and that's how that's released his potential, that he's looking better and better every week. So it shows that they're making adjustments. The Lions are obviously they had a dog shit defense for most of this season, and and the reason why they, they're scoring 30 points a game but still have a 4-7 and seven record is because of their defense. But um, it's beginning to be – you demonstrate they're beginning to improve things. Dan Campbell definitely seems to have the team behind him. Things are looking up for the Lions. They, they look a little bit like the Jets from last season. Um, uh, uh, that they You feel that they are they are one or two seasons away from being a, a very exciting team that could do a lot of damage uh, in the playoffs. For the Bills, it's kind of tough to read where this Bills team is. I mean, Tony Romo made a very big deal out of Josh Allen's continuing injury. That basically the adjustments that they're making in the small kind of... It's a butterfly effect thing that... He plays slightly different issues, therefore the team is playing slightly differently, so therefore they're not quite as good. And he's willing to write off all the Bills' woes at the moment on the, on the fact that Josh Allen is, is injured. I'm not quite sure I agree with that. I think there's there's problems that developing on both sides of the ball, and obviously the loss of Vaughn Miller for a few weeks is going to be huge. But I think there is a case to be said that, that Josh Allen is maybe playing a little bit more conservatively or not taking chances. What was very interesting in this game is that when they needed to get the win, when they needed you know, in the fourth quarter, they were chasing the game twice and they needed to have the big plays. 
Josh Allen, that's when Josh Allen was willing to run the ball. That's when Josh Allen was throwing 40-yard darts to, to Stefan Diggs. When he was in the zone and willing to play through the pain and do absolutely everything he was required to win, he was he was a Josh Allen we all know and love. He's the guy who can be a force of nature in the fourth quarter and win games single-handedly. But for the rest of the game, you felt that he wasn't he maybe deliberately holding himself back or not trying not to take too many risks because he didn't want to hurt himself all that more. I mean, obviously, Allen is a big part of whether or not the Bills can succeed or not in the future, and he would hope that the injury clears up over time. But this isn't the same team that looked so explosive in the first few weeks, and I, and I think it is more fundamental. I think teams are starting to figure them out. Uh, I think they're they're not executing as well as they did. The defense isn't looking as, as wonderful as it did in those first few weeks. And these are the growing pains of a team. This is a team that needs to start to figure out where it is uh, going forward. I still think they're a very good team. I still think they're going to be competing at the top end. Um, but it's not, it's not, they're not runaway number one best team in the NFL anymore. And they've got to figure that out because they're running out of weeks, regular season weeks, to figure out their problems before they, they go to the playoffs. So the Bills, work to be done, still think they're pretty good. And for the Lions, I just want to watch this team get better and better as the years go on. Yeah. Next up, Tampa Bay, Cleveland, 70 to 23 in overtime. Cleveland somewhat keep their outside chances at the playoffs alive uh, as essentially kind of Tampa Bay shied away what was starting to look like a possible kind of comeback route for them, although they are still live as well. Brissett, 210 yards, a touchdown and interception, makes a big clutch play at the tail end uh, to tie it up and to bring them to overtime. And then, you know, in overtime, Chubb continued to just, you know, dominate. He had over 110 yards in this game. He had a touchdown. Cooper had 94 yards. It was very impressive. Brady was 246 yards and two touchdowns. He had periods of being good and periods of just kind of looking a little bit lost. Uh, Godwin had 110 yards in touchdown. White had 64 and 45 pass. Like, it was was all right. Um... Like, obviously, we mentioned beforehand there was a couple of injuries here and they were mounting throughout the the game. One thing that I found a bit weird was... Now, I could I could have just been thinking about this wrong, Ronan, but the way that the Browns ran the game script during overtime at the tail end was really confusing to me because they got it all the way down to where they could just kick a field goal, which, okay, that's fine. They just need to kick a field goal to win. And then... They ran the ball. That's fine. Just why not take a shot to see if you can get it in. Then they let the clock run 12 or 14 seconds off it. Then they took a timeout and then they went running again. Was that like some attempt to throw the guys off the scent that they were going to run a play? Or what was the why, why did they run 12 to 15 seconds off the clock and then call a timeout? I have no idea. And uh, no one cares because they won. It's true. It's true. It just felt like one of those where like Cleveland win and it's kind of, it's a nice win and it's good to see Chubb getting the win for them. But I'm just like, what the fuck were they thinking? Yeah, I thought they'd just take the kick, get Cade York win the game. But hey, Nick Chubb gets the, the, the game winner. Uh, that Probably the, fucks the, a couple of people over in fantasy, which is always funny. Yeah. So look, it is what it is. Like that's a weird situation, but I think like, I don't let that distract you from the, this was a weird game, and for a Browns team which is about to, you know, enter the the shit house for all of us, you know, for Jacoby Brissett to get a win, um, obviously in his last probably game for Cleveland as a starter and against his old mentor Tom Brady, you know, Brissett by all accounts seems like a really good dude. He can't take away the stink from this as an organization, but it was nice for him to get this win, and the fact that he did it in a very clutch way when the biggest issue with Jacoby Brissett this year, who's been 
better than expected is that he was so unclutch. He threw interceptions to lose games uh, at key moments. And in this game, he came through on the final drive in, regu- in, 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 in regular time. He throws a nice touchdown to David Njoku, who makes a really nice catch, to be fair, uh, on fourth down um, when the game's on the line. That was good to see. And then, yes, they you know Tampa Bay had two chances to win this game uh, with their own drives in overtime. But on the final drive of overtime, you have a nice 71-yard um, 71 yard drive mostly headed up by around a 50 yard catch from Amari Cooper um, so once again Brissett key to the win in overtime so look even though Brissett didn't have a great game you know he showed up when it mattered and compared to what they've been this season and what he's been this season that's good to see it, it's supposed to, the only problem is it doesn't really build into anything because next week he's gone for Deshaun Watson as for the Buccaneers I think you have to be really worried as a Buccaneers fan like I think the only reason to really play off relevance is during the NFC South and the NFC South is an absolute dumpster fire and you know Tom Brady two touchdowns two four six doesn't look too bad only 29 out of 43 in terms of passing but it was just it was just really weird performance like he seemed to have his relationship with Chris Godwin seems to be go, like growing back to where it was after Godwin seems to be getting over his injury you know with over 100 yards and a touchdown so but like Mike Evans he had nine targets to Mike Evans two catches for 31 yards that's really really unusual now maybe Mike Evans is injured he's always fucking injured um so maybe that's it or but it, like Tom Brady just wasn't accurate and he wasn't making the right decisions and at the end of this game um when they had like 30 seconds or so left after the Cleveland touchdown you know they had several timeouts and Todd Bowles just decided not to use them which is particularly perplexing because they literally won a game against the Rams a few weeks ago in very similar circumstances they needed a touchdown there but they they, they basically ran down the field in Tom Brady's hands and he afterwards said oh well he could have thrown an interception yeah like there's, there's many issues with Tom Brady this year, but he's only thrown two interceptions all season. That yeah, is not the issue. I think, with Tom I, think Brady. I think they said like his perce- his interception percentage is like point zero point four percent or something. So like, you know, you, you can't you, you can't be holding on to your timeouts on tail risk that taily like. Yeah, it just it didn't make sense, and the whole it just felt like when you were watching this game, it just the whole vibe was off. And after having the bye, after winning in Germany, you thought, okay, the Bucks are going to come in, they're going to take control of this division, which is terrible, and it will be fine and normal. But now you lose guys like Tristan Wirth for a few weeks. Um, you're obviously missing some guys who are now banged up in the secondary, though they will continue to play. And you kind of wonder, is this team going to kind of continue to just be bad, basically? Is there no comeback coming? And like, look, like, there's certain elements of this team that have been bad all year. Their interior offensive line is terrible, so the run game doesn't get going. Rashad White was pretty bad on the ground here. He had a lot of dump-offs to bump up his numbers. Uh, Fournette, I don't think he's going to come in and fix that. The defense is fine. I'm decent enough against the run um although Chubb got his got his what he needed in the end uh but the secondary is it yeah it's just you know I thought the books had turned the corner but this showing gives me concern that, that like they're just they, this is just who they are and we could just be in like they, they very likely could make the playoffs but if based on this I don't see them as a real factor really in terms of competition in the NFC yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Um, yeah, it doesn't bode great for them. Uh, next up, Baltimore at Jacksonville, 27-28. to What a finish to this game. It was brilliant. Jacksonville get the upset win as known fraud Justin Tucker fails to kick a, a field goal, a 67-yard field goal. Um, yeah, to be fair, no one can really blame him for that one. Um, 
Yeah, it was great. Jacksonville get down. I actually, I, I'll talk about it. I actually do blame them for missing it. But go on. Fair enough. But the, uh, but yeah, the just ballsy move by Jacksonville to get down. They they have the chance to tie it up and they say no. We're going to go for a two point play. Uh, get it down there. Lawrence was pretty decent in this game. Three twenty two, three touchdowns and a fumble. He had periods where he disappeared, but when he was throwing the ball, he was overall pretty good. Um, hooked up with Zay Jones for one hundred and forty five, and had to overcome the fact that Travis Etienne went out with an injury earlier on. Lamar Jackson like. This is the second or third time now this season where we've seen him get bottled up a bit. Like he he did he did a lot in the last quarter to try and get back around into this game after Jackson pulled ahead. But like he had 254 yards, a touchdown, and 89 on the ground. Uh, but like we're getting very little in the red zone, two and five in the red zone in terms of actually and, being able to uh, get. And and Sean's gonna know about why that happened schematically, but. My pet theory is that the Jacksonville mascot was just so intimidating. Yeah. Uh, that it just threw him off his game in the <laughs> I red would, zone. I, you know? I, I, I would be a happier man if I never have to see that in my dreams ever again. It is terrifying nightmare fuel. Um, yeah, if, if you want to scare yourself, go and look up the, the dancing cheetah mascot. It is horrifying. Um, yeah, so, like, to be fair, there's a lot of mistakes from this Baltimore team. There's a lot of dropped passes. There's a fumble from Gus Edwards. Like... It was it was sloppy, but it was also very exciting from a Jacksonville side to, to, to see this happen. Very, very exciting. They also, even even though it was a 67-yarder, they nearly shouldn't have let them get that many yards on them uh, to have a shot at it at the end. But um, go on, Sean. I'm more than happy to hear someone blame Justin Tucker because normally I'm the one who's accused of being a Justin Tucker hater. Right. Okay, far from me to question the mechanics of the best kicker in NFL history, but generally speaking, as I understand it, when you're kicking really long field goals, the aim is to kick low, to kind of build a low arc, because the problem with the the standard kicking procedure for long field goals is that they'll, they'll arc too high and they'll come down too short, whereas you're supposed to kick low and therefore the momentum will carry them far, further. Whereas Tucker kicked the 67-yard field goal as if he was kicking a 45-yard field goal. It's a really high arc, which which meant it fell just short. And I think he should have been much more of a kind of a, a daisy-cutter type kind of low kick uh, that could have gone the distance. Now, that's that's complete amateur watching it on TV, but I, I think he made the wrong decision about the type of kick to kick. That said, that's not the reason the Ravens lost this game. The Ravens lost the Ravens lost this game because they were really lazy for the entire game and they struggled with sloppy errors and failures of execution through it. I mean, this is I didn't watch them against the Panthers, so I can't say for sure, but this looked to me like the weakest performance I've definitely seen of the, of the Ravens this year. Their previous losses were all kind of kind of dropping the ball in the fourth quarter or allowing teams to get momentum in big comebacks. They haven't had a loss quite like this where they haven't been able to properly put a team away and they just let them hang around and they haven't killed a, a, a somewhat mediocre team and they just let them get back in. They they didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. They were relying on Tucker's kicking throughout. Um, they, you know, the, the red zone was pretty messy in terms of the execution and such like. They, their play clock, they were terrible. They, they had no number of times they got, they got delays of game or close to them. It was just generally a very lazy performance. I think they just went in there expecting to win because it's the Jags and we're the Ravens and we're better than them, et cetera, et cetera. And they ended up coming up short. So it's time to talk, maybe talk about this team's mentality. It's maybe time to start talking about this team's brittleness because this is not a, this is, you want to talk about championship mentality. And we've talked a lot about the Bills and the, and the potent, the problems they have maybe with championship mentality. The Ravens have a serious problem where this is a talented team 
which has a supposedly very good coach, but they do not go into games trying to kill the, the opposition. And I think that's an absolute problem for them. In terms of the Jags, it's very, it's very nice to see them get the win because um, they've actually been playing most games pretty close. That the, these are the kind of games the Jags have been losing all season, where they where they play games quite games quite close, but they can't get the win right at the end. Um, and it's so good to see them get there over the line by being ballsy as well, by taking the risk with the two point conversion right at the end. They actually it's very weird. There's four and seven, but they have a plus twelve point differential. They've scored twelve more points they conceded, which is actually better than the seven and four Titans, which just shows that that they're just having a weird season where they're losing lots uh, of close games. Trevor Lawrence had a pretty good game. He, he numbers definitely speak to his improvement. He's already thrown more touchdown passes than all of last season. He's still got a bit of a fumbling problem, which he needs to, to work on. Um, so that's pretty, but he's definitely looking improvement. I thought your Michael Hasty had a pretty good game as a dual threat, uh, allowed to overcome the loss uh, of Etienne. I think things are starting to click with the Jags. I think Doug Pedersen's getting into a kind of a groove and looks pretty good. That said, though, this win should be absolutely 100% forfeited because of that mascot horror show. Cannot allow that ever to happen again. And the Jags should be <laughs> thrown out of the NFL if they try to pull that shit um, yeah. again. It is. Look, I, I, like that's easy for you to say, Sean, but who's going to arrest the guy? Like, like I don't want to be that. <laughs> I don't want to be them. Yeah, yeah. Those I don't... hip thrusts, those hip thrusts are, are dangerous, you know? I, 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 I can't imagine how bad the smell must be if you put him into the back of your car. Like, it would just be... <laughs> oh, Right, finally here, uh, Chargers at Arizona in a game of, fuck it, which one of us can lose the least? Um, 25 to 24, the Chargers go aggressive, just like the Jags, uh, and go for a two-point conversion to try and win the game, and they succeed. Herbert has 312 yards, three touchdowns, and like an okay start, and then just really, really nothing for ages then afterwards. Both were... Highly inefficient, particularly in the second half on offense. There were six punts either side before the final touchdown went in. Kyler was up and down, as always, 240 yards, three touchdowns and interception. Um, they got good production out of the run game. Uh, Connor had 140 yards and a touchdown, as well as a fumble on the ground, because, Janice, for some reason, the Chargers just can't play defense. Uh, well, particularly not run defense. But, yeah, this was, to be honest, turgid. Like, this was not good from either side massively particularly given that these are two teams that are in the hunt and contending hard to try and get into into playoff pictures like what was it 16 yards on three drives before they closed out the game like it was not there was a fierce smell of want in this game you know there was, there was want want of good coaching like it was it's just... just awful like i come i come away from it going I'd said it before that I think the Chargers need a new coach, full stop, and I think they're probably getting it. Like, Arizona, to me, this is crying out for a change as well, but then they've given Kingsbury, what, like a five-year extension. So, like, are they going to pay him out for that, or are they going to look at, um, is it Matt Rule, who's gone back to college now, so all that offset money has disappeared um, from his uh, from his Panthers one? So, like, they're kind of going, well... Kingsbury would probably get a college gig afterwards, so maybe we won't have to pay him out all this money or whatever. But like, yeah, I've, if I'm a fan of either of these teams, I'm crying out for a change in in coaching. Yeah, definitely one of just the one inexplicable, disappointing games, which somehow happened to be close and is quite playoff relevant in terms of the Chargers. I think the Cardinals might be in the in, in out of the running at this point, uh, but they had they had a chance to win this game. Like they had three 
three, you know, attempts to kind of just kill this game off with the lead, and they failed. They kicked out 16 yards in those three uh, things, and you kind of have to go back. That's probably Cliff Kingsbury's fault, and I'm not the only one saying that. Like, Kyler Murray uh, uh, on his press conference afterwards basically said that they don't know what they're doing in terms of play calling, and that's a pretty big shot across the bow, um, you would imagine, for his play caller, who is basically the head coach. So, you know, there's been rumours, and it's it's kind of come out publicly occasionally, that things are not going very well there. And, of course, uh, the in-season hard knocks is not... Like, they're trying very hard to scrub out anything controversial, uh, like when, you know, Benjamin got his way out of there. But, um, you know, there's only so much they can scrub away without it just not having anything to go on any every week. The, the tension is growing there. And I think, in particular, when your run game is going well, like Connor gashed what is one of the worst defensive lines in the league it feels like at the moment in terms of run game 140 yards a touchdown though he did have a fumble as well like that's the kind of situation where like well he's taking the pressure off the quarterback can do his job and yet not really like kyler pretty effective running the ball but as a passer outside of like d hop still quite underwhelming um i found overall and i said didn't show up at the at the most important times and is that because kyler murray is kind of a lazy fuck who's spending time playing call of duty or is that because cliff kingsbury doesn't have any plan except for wear sunglasses and look cool maybe both probably both um you know the whole thing just is bad it doesn't make sense and when the defense at least has put the effort to get better over the course of the season it's going it ends up being quite disappointing and as you said there's all these big contracts that arizona have lying around for everyone at the top of the organization on the quarterback so i'm not quite sure how much expense the owner bidwell's willing to take on to, to close this down so disappointing from from the cardinals but you know the chargers hey for once that they, they weren't the chargers they let the other team charger it up and they had another winning this year was it against atlanta it's similar you know it's kind of like just you know sometimes the other teams are more charging than the chargers and the chargers take advantage and i think obviously justin herbert looks a lot healthier and more effective than he did uh, while dealing with that injury he's not quite like the guy that i know like the the guy people like to hype up on social media or whatever like that i think it was some uh, controversy around that but he is a very good quarterback and obviously you see the traits there that make him an explosive playmaker when it matters and when it when it mattered here with a 133 left in the clock he got the touchdown when they needed the two two point conversion he got it albeit it's either mostly a blown coverage from arizona and despite them themselves not being particularly efficient towards the back end of this game when they were looking to kind of come back when the chips were down they got it done but the defense is terrible and the head coach Staley is supposed to be a defensive genius and it's just looked terrible I know they're dealing with a lot of injuries but this is just ex next level terrible in my opinion so Herbert's going to continue to have to get better and better each week to make this go if they get Mike Williams back maybe that'll fix a few things but yeah overall like there's a lot there's there's at least more things to get excited about with the Chargers but there's just still the Chargers and they certainly don't look a patch on a team like um the the, the Chiefs or even the Bengals right now yeah so I suppose, as we say every week, all games are important, just some are less important, and that's why we put those into the dump-off. So Ronan, uh, take us away. Yeah, week 12 was a dump-off. Obviously, you know, some teams are fully out of contention now, and we, we'll spend a less time in them. Uh, some teams still exciting, but involving games not really work away too, too much. We'll start with a couple of games that could certainly we get more analysis if, if, if this week haven't had so many close games. Uh, starting with, unfortunately, a Seattle loss. Vegas at Seattle, 40 to 34 loss in overtime. Josh Jacobs was absolutely bananas on the awful Seattle defense. 229 yards and two touchdowns, rushing 74 yards, passing like three, over 300 yards in total. Just ridiculous numbers, of course, capped by that 86-yard 
overtime touchdown. And this is all with a calf strain that had him questionable coming into the game. This was like his Michael Jordan flu game type of situation against Seattle. Uh, and that kind of meant that he basically just won the game for uh, Vegas. But Carr also had a solid game, nearly turning yards three touchdowns. So he did throw two interceptions, as is his way. Um, but the Seattle defense outside those two interceptions was terrible. They couldn't get stops. And really, the only reason they got any stops was that there was a few kind of very conservative calls by McDaniels. I get it, he, he got one fourth down that he gave a, a swing play out that didn't work, but overall he probably could have, you know, won this game in, in regulation, though Seattle had their own chances as well that they will rue, including a DK uh, catch that was called off and a fumble they didn't get off out of Jacobs. But yeah, the, 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 the fun thing with the first interception was that a guy, Daryl Taylor, literally came off the bench to in, to come in, presumably expecting a celebration, but the, it was actually a return. And the he, 12th uh, man. The twelfth man came alive, you know. He really bought into. He really bought into the culture, you know. Uh, but overall, kind of fun there. Gino, to be fair, I don't think he was the problem here, though. He did throw a couple of interceptable balls, and he had an interception, two, three, twenty-eight, two touchdowns. But they don't have really have a run game right now. Kenneth Walker's making some yards in the red zone when it matters for the touchdowns, and he's catching the ball. But actual, just traditional run game, not there right now. Definitely a concern there, especially for a guy like. Pete Carley likes running the ball, but the defense is the really big issue. So Gino Smith is keeping them relevant, you know, and they have a pretty easy schedule coming up in the next few weeks. But, you know, they're outside the playoff playoff picture right now, but I'd still give them like a, maybe a 30, 40 chance, uh, percent chance of making it. Next up, Giants at Dallas, uh, one of the Thanksgiving games, 20-28 win for Dallas. Dallas started this game slow. It was 13-7 in the Giants' favor after the first half. Thanks to two turnovers from Dallas and some explosive plays from the Giants. But as the game went on in the second half, the difference in quality just shone true. Like Dak ended up with two touchdowns in the second half. He found CeeDee Lamb for over 100. Gallup had a few really nice catches early on. And Schultz had two of the touchdowns. And the run game looked really solid with Zeke really taking over, which was unusual. Uh, but he looked really good in this game. So uh, they definitely have a two-headed attack to rely on there between him and Pollard. As for the Giants, as I said, solid start to this game with obviously you know, taking some advantage of the turnovers, but as the game went on, the lack of Saquon being able to get it done um, really showed true. And then Danny Dimes, you know, he's okay, but he's not good. Like he missed the key fourth and one catch uh, pass to Saquon. Definitely a lack of issue there. And look, the Dallas defense is a game wrecker and can win games for them. And that's what they did in the second half here. So Dallas are an obviously better team. The Giants are a fading power. Um, I think we could see Dallas compete for uh, the NFC uh, East and potentially number one seed. Giants really are probably going to hold on to a wild card spot at best. Green Bay at Philly, 33 to 40. This was Sunday night football. Philly, you know, the scores here a little misleading. Like the like the, the Packers had a lot of late points. It was like 37 to 23 early in the fourth quarter uh, when Jordan Love came in, had over 100 yards and a touchdown, including Christian Watson. Nice, uh, like just a slant play, really. I don't know how much Love is to credit for that. Uh, but look, the reason Philly won is because they could just run the ball on this kind of Potemkin uh, defense in um, Green Bay, just 157 rush yards for Hertz, 143 and two touchdowns for Sanders. If you give up over 300 yards rushing, you're not gonna win the game basically. Uh, and Hertz threw in two touchdowns in the passing game for good measure. Um, but this Green Bay defense has just been one of the biggest disappointments this, this, year, this year. And the fact that Philly were able to just close this game out with a six minute 44 drive to, to get a field goal to kill it as a concept, make a two score game, that's just, you know, kind of indicative of what this game was. Rodgers, look, he was up and down. He, he was dealing with a thumb injury for the last few weeks. He obviously went out with a rib injury here. 
two touchdowns, two interceptions, very emblematic of what Rodgers has been this year. Um, the Love cameo late with some decent production definitely gives consideration that they may turn the Love unless Rodgers literally forces their hand. Uh, but look, Christian Watson's been a highlight there, so that's good for him with a 62-yard touchdown. So at least some things to build on. Next up, Pittsburgh and Indianapolis, 24-17 win for Pittsburgh on Monday Night Football. Pittsburgh are starting to become the kind of solid team we thought they would be this year. You know, they have their defense is coming together now that TJ Watt is back. Kenny Pickett is showing some promise. He avoided any mistakes. He had around uh, 200 yards overall in production. The run game worked well, even when Najee Harris went out his game early. Uh, Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland had solid production. So I don't think Pittsburgh are a good team, but they are turning into a solid team. Um, and that certainly gives them a chance of maybe getting up to that 500 mark again, uh, depending on how they get on going forward. As for Indianapolis, I think the theme of the Saturday area is quickly falling apart. This was very much more like early season Matt Ryan. 200 yards, a touchdown interception. Um, JT, uh, John Taylor only had 100 yards, a touchdown, he had a fumble. He was grand, but really wasn't enough. They were 16-3 to at half after basically having no yards um, for most of the first half. And then when the game was on the line, they had one final drive to potentially tie it up. Uh, they, like Ryan went for a big rush with less than a minute left, killed a bunch of the clock. Um, they didn't take any timeouts. They went for a quick run to JT, who got stuffed, and then they, they failed on fourth down. So some questions over the maturity, I suppose, of Saturday as a play caller um, and people digging up old tweets about people not being good at play calling. So uh, all round, not great for Indianapolis. They seem to be reverting to form. Pittsburgh coming into solidity. Next up, Atlanta to Washington, 19-13. to Hey, it's two dumb teams having a dumb game, but... Hey, someone's got a win, and in this case it was Washington, particularly thanks to some key defensive plays. They got a downs late in the first half after Atlanta got all the way to the red zone. Uh, then they got a red zone interception late in this game when, for some reason, Atlanta you know, went, well, Mariota, he put the game in his hands. Not a good idea. Um, and that interception basically killed this game uh, off. Heineke was fine. He had a few interceptable chances, as he always does, and one of those actually did become an interception, but he had two touchdowns, and really they were leaning on the run game here. 31 rushes, 31 carries for 158 yards. You know, decent win for Washington that now puts them in the seventh wildcard spot. Uh, so good for them, I suppose, though I don't really rate them as a factor. Uh, as for Atlanta, same old issues. Mariota up and down, 223 yards, a touchdown interception. He was fine, he ran okay. The rush game was okay, 118 yards, but at key spots in this game, they were just bad. They got the interception. They failed on downs. They were failing on short uh, yardage situations. So, you know, they're still technically alive because Tampa Bay looked bad as well. But uh, I just don't want anyone in the NFC's out to be alive, to be honest. But uh, that is what it is. Washington uh, now in the playoffs. Hooray. Next up, Chicago at the Jets, 10 to 31. Jets very much, uh, sorry, Ch Chicago Bears very much reverting to their pre-good Justin Fields form. Absolutely exposed here. Their de defense was terrible. Zero turnovers. Uh, over 450 yards allowed as Mike White, the saviour of the Jets, had 300 of those yards and three touchdowns. He was particularly effective early on and I think he had a lot of yards to Wilson early on, Garrett Wilson, uh, for 95 yards and two touchdowns, not to be confused with the other Wilson of note. Um, but he ended up spreading the ball all around. It, but he's not a great quarterback, but he's solid and he doesn't make mistakes. And for a Jets team that's so talented, particularly on the defence, that might be enough um, to make them relevant in the playoff. Well, it's enough to make them relevant in the playoff hunt. As for Chicago, Trevor Simeon started this game, and I think he was hurt, so he Nita Peterman could have been playing here. But he, he started okay. Uh, he had a touchdown early, but then he, he just uh, it's Trevor Simeon, uh, and things just got very bad from then on. And the Jets defense very much clamped down as you'd expect them to do. So you know, Chicago not relevant. We'll see how much of Justin Fields we see going forward. Next up, Rams at KC, 10 to 26. KC. Not their best game, didn't need to be because the Rams are fundamentally just limited. No Stafford, bunch of injuries. Mahomes, he had a 3 yards, a touchdown interception. 
Um, he was very much forced to get the Kelsey late on to get a touchdown, extra touchdown for him. But uh, Jalen Ramsey is like after getting a touchdown there, he's like no more touchdowns for J for Kelsey. Unfortunately, all the other parts of the KC offense were more than happy to make up the slack. Uh, Juju and MVS and, and Pacheco, uh, so it didn't really matter. Um, but hey, good for you Ramsey, I suppose. Um, as for the Rams, Perkins was in here in spelling Matt Stafford, 100 yards and a touchdown, but two interceptions. Not really a good pass. He had 45 yards rushing, which has led the team, but overall very, very limited type of quarterback and the lack of weapons like Tutu Atwell under top one right down. Just very obvious. And the defense, they put in their shift, but against the KC offense, it's explosive. Never going to be enough. Uh, easy win. New Orleans at San Francisco, 0-13. to Should add for the San Francisco defense. Two fumbles, a sack, three tackles for a loss, around 260 yards allowed, although I would say Alave had a catch that was called off that was very suspicious in my opinion. But anyway, um, they got a couple, those two fumbles ended up being key, especially the second fumble where Kamara fumbled it on the um, on the goal line late on in the game, which was to kill this game off of a contest. And the San Francisco offense, which a couple of weeks ago, or last week, and the week before that looked like the best in the league, was underwhelming as Knox appeared for Debo and CMC and Elijah Mitchell and whatever typical, typical SF stuff. But uh, Jimmy G, 222 yards and a touchdown. CMC only 50 yards due to his knee issue management. Um, but look, they didn't really need to go all out to win this game, so maybe they're just holding it back for when the games matter again. Uh, the New Orleans defense got a lot bunch of starters back, so they kind of looked okay solid again. So that's good for them. But I suppose in the NFC side they are relevant, but God, they don't feel it right now. Next up, Houston at Miami, 15 to 30. Garbage time points really are lying here. Houston got absolutely whooped here. It was 0 to 30 at the half. Tua, 300 yards and a touchdown. And the Miami defense had two interceptions, a fumble that went for a touchdown, five sacks, seven tackles for a loss, around 250 yards allowed, all that nearly in the second half. Yeah, like Allen, he got his garbage time points, so that'll probably keep him in there over, over Mills going forward. But yeah, like, you know, Damian Pierce gets eight yards in total. You know, it wasn't a good game. And the Houston defense also got some nice uh, garbage points in the second half as the tackles got injured and Skylar Thompson came in and then gave up a few sacks and tackles for a loss. But yeah, all very irrelevant from Houston. Please put them away uh, forever. And finally, oh my God, Denver at Carolina, 10 to 23. Denver are woeful and Wilson was terrible. 150 yards, a touchdown and a fumble. The defensive players in Denver were getting up in his face and telling him that he is shit, basically. And he was coming out afterwards saying, no, man, we all agree that we want to win. It's like, no, no, you're the problem, bro. You're the problem. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's going every week. It somehow gets worse and worse. And the fact that like Sam Darnold comes in and like it looks okay. He looks great, but he was okay. And he got a, a really fun um, barrel roll fumble touchdown. If he fumbled the ball, jumped on it, no one touched him. So he just barrel rolled into the red zone. Uh, into, sorry, into the end zone. Fun stuff, I suppose. Uh, but really, Dante Foreman, the star here again, which he has been for several weeks. When Carolina has been relevant, over 100 yards here. And the Carolina defense, which is actually pretty good and something to build on going forward in future years, uh, very much had their way with a terrible Denver uh, team. So a very appropriate way to end the dump off with the dumpiest of off games. So uh, we'll talk to you next week. So... When we're looking at the games for next week, let's start with Thursday Night Football. Buffalo at New England. We've gone for Buffalo across the board. Uh, obviously, some question marks over whether Allen's fully healthy and what this New England defense can do. Uh, but, Sean, this is your pick of the week, so tell us about it. Yeah, obviously, a big AFC East battle between two teams who know each other very well. The three games they had last year were all very interesting in different ways. Who can forget the Belichick 45 uh, run play game or the Bills blowing the Pats out in the playoffs. So there's an interesting kind of dynamic here. Obviously, both teams are, are 
quite live in terms of both playoffs and divisions. It was interesting to see how they approach one another. Um, I mean, the big question, as I talked about in terms of the, the review of the, of the game, is the role of Josh. He used to play to his full Josh Allen-ness. You kind of get the sense that if he holds back, it does have a negative impact on, on the Bills, and it, it does, to a certain extent, limit their effectiveness. But he is capable in short bursts of playing to his absolute peak. And you feel if this is a close game, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to there. So you've got a team that, on paper, I mean, the Bills are a much better team, both offensively, and you might even say that their defense is better than the, the Pats' defense, whereas the Bills aren't quite living up to their talent level this season so far, whereas the, the Pats have, as they've been doing for the past three seasons since Brady left, Balachik is maximizing the shit out of the talent that he has with his coaching, and he suddenly turned a, a very mediocre team into a winning team with a chance at, a, at the playoffs. I mean, the question here is how much the, the New England offense can actually get going against this Bills defense. I mean... It's one thing to, to get 26 points against the Vikings defense. It's quite another to score Manny against this pretty decent build defense, even missing Von Miller. And that's the problem, as I see in this game, is I just don't see how the New England offense is going to be able to keep pace. No matter how good the, the New England defense play, how no matter how good Belichick schemes it up and finds ways to, to force Josh Allen to doing things he doesn't want to do or, or makes an uncomfortably offensive side, they're still going to score points the builds are whereas the other side it's very difficult to see how this very mediocre uh, new england offense is going to get much traction at all uh, off this defense i mean the only way it's going to happen is if we're going to get one of those grindy awful games perhaps helped by the weather or, or the such like um from belichick to grind this one out but in most normal circumstances i think the Bills just have too much talent and it's too much of a mismatch for the for the pats to be able to hold uh, for the entire four quarters yeah, I think like Buffalo are a better team, but do we have those questions like Josh Allen turned it up when he needed to, but rushing the ball and throwing the ball last week. But, you know, how much of that do you want to see since he's supposed to be resting up and getting healthier? Is he getting healthier each week? That's something to keep an eye on. And then this Buffalo defense, which was obviously one of the best in the league for most of the season, losing Von Miller. They have some injuries, so they're getting guys back like Rousseau and Epinesa. So they should be OK now again on the defensive line. But, you know, can they get pressure on Mac Jones, who has been a little bit better recently? So, yeah, I think Buffalo deserves to be favourites here, but a few questions lingering about them for the rest of the season. Let's see if they can prove that they're the contender that we think they are. Yeah. No, it should be, should be an interesting one. Now, next up, we have Green Bay at Chicago. Me and Sean have gone for Chicago. Fitz has gone for Green Bay. Obviously, Sean, the, you know, there's question marks over who's playing quarterback. Is it Lover or Aaron? Is it Fields or Simeon? Um, like, yeah, give us a quick blast on this one. Yeah, I mean, it's all very uh, quarterback dependent. If we have a, an Aaron Rodgers versus Justin Fields game, it could be quite an interesting one. If we're left with Jordan Love versus Trevor Simeon, could be a bit of a death fest. Um, I mean, I, I'm praying that Justin Fields plays. Uh, he's, he's questionable. He, there's a chance he might play. If he does, I think he's going to do uh, enough to... His exciting play, as we've seen, is going to be enough to overcome but it's a very so-so Packers side on both sides of the ball now that the offense hasn't been working for weeks and the defense seems to be getting progressively worse as the season goes on. If it's the Chicago that turned up last week, i.e. the non-field Chicago, then you you do have to give the Packers a chance because they probably are the better team on, on paper and this the Chicago defense is pretty all over the place, although I don't have much... I don't, I don't have much... That, that I like Jordan Love for. I don't think he's he's all that much. He's all that good, but he showed flashes, and that's probably going to be enough. But I'm praying that Fields plays and Chicago wins, and the Packers are sent down to the the 
NFC North basement where they belong. It's yeah. just a coincidence about you and Connor have fields on your rel- on two of your fantasy teams, right? <laughs> yeah, well, like I'll, I'll put it this way: my, 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 saving one of my fantasy teams. Yeah. yeah, my my pick of Chicago is dependent on Fields playing. If it's Simeon, then I'm going Green Bay. That's my my caveat that I'm putting on this one. Um, but yeah, nah, it's yeah, two not relevant teams. Next up, Jets at the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, me and Sean have gone for the Jets, and Fitz has gone for Minnesota Vikings. So obviously, look, the Jets have swapped to Mike White. Uh, he played very well last week for them, but you know, I I, I remember it was two years ago that Mike quite came in and had that one week of, of of incredible play, and then was injured, and then just absolutely shit the bed after that and got benched. So you know that could definitely happen again. This is a Minnesota team trying to get back on track after dropping one. Like my thought process on this and why I selected the Jets was, I think probably the best unit in this matchup is the Jets defense. And that's going to be an interesting one to see, you know, like Sauce up against Jefferson. We're going to see that pass rush going in and kind of, you know, Kirk Cousins doesn't really deal with pass rush particularly well. So we'll see how that plays out. Like the Jets offense is, you know, flip a coin and you've probably got as good a chance as we do of figuring out exactly what it is. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to back the, the little train that could because defense wins championships and uh, I still don't believe in Kirk Cousins. Yeah, for me, like, quarterbacks grand whatever but like the big fun showdown is like sauce gardner versus justin jefferson two guys mm. who are playing at the absolute height of their powers this season at their respective positions and you know justin jefferson has shown that he can sink he has been destroying defensive game plans all year he just took down the, the belichick defense so but this is one-on-one man-on-man you imagine though dj reed might be involved somewhat as well he's been having a good season as well so you know if jefferson can get going, which he has more often not done this season, then I think Minnesota uh, have a really good chance of winning this game because if they can score like 25, 30 points, I think they have a really good chance here because I think like, yes, Mike White looked good last week, but I think the Chicago defense is one of the worst defenses in the league. That's why yeah. I picked against them in the Green Bay thing. So I can see, um, you know, uh, so, you know, like I could, see, I don't know if Mike White's like, like, so right now, Mike White's a huge question. Is he, you know, white savior or white trash? Like, I don't really know right now, uh, <laughs> but we'll see. I think this will be a really good challenge because Minnesota, their defense is okay, but it's not amazing. So if he could be solid here, that probably means he's going to be starting the rest of the season. But if he really struggles, then questions about the quarterback position are going to come back and the whole Jets experiment might go. But like, look, you know, I think Minnesota, they're the more solid team overall. They have the better record. The Jets have more defects, but yeah, look, if the Jets defense shows up and shuts down Jefferson and shuts down Cook, they could definitely win this game. So that's the real, as, as, you, as you said, the, the real challenge here. Uh, Mike White, if he can play solid, that gives them a chance. We can see if he's more than that going forward. Yeah, I, I've picked the Jets because I choose to believe, but it is worth noting this is Kirk <laughs> Cousins in the 1 p.m. window, so mm. expect an MVP performance from him. That's true. Cleveland at Houston. We've gone for Cleveland across the board. Um, yeah, I'd fuck love these to be... teams. Fuck uh, these teams. Fuck these teams. I would love fuck to Cleveland be... for trading for Houston and fuck Houston for protecting uh, Watson. Yeah, I'd love. I'd love to be picking Houston to win this, but they're also just dog shit. Um, oh, yeah. I presume that Cleveland will win, but I don't really want to talk about it too much more than that. Um, yeah, like I said, like Houston are, are, are dog shit. Like I think a couple of high school teams could nearly play them at this point uh next up tennessee at philadelphia we got for philly across the board look they said it before say it again tennessee is solid but quite boring philly this will be an interesting test for them given that one of the things that we said is that they can look a little bit brittle like if tennessee can 
establish the run game, get physical with them. Like maybe there's something there. They, you know, Philly do have the injury to the DB with his lacerated insides and whatnot. Like, <laughs> um, there's a chance here, but it's just like Philly. Just they seem like the more fun team. They've got good rotation. Like they've now got all the big boys to sit on the line and stop Derrick Henry. So like, I could see this getting out of the comfort zone of Tennessee relatively quickly, and then, like you said, John, they're not really built to 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 come from behind, are they? No, they're. I mean, they're they're a very solid front running team, but they don't have an awful lot of of ability to adjust when things aren't going well. And I mean, Derrick Henry can only do so much. And I mean, you don't really trust Ryan him, Ryan Tannehill to be to be a superstar. I mean, I am. There's a part of me that does kind of feel that maybe the Titans' boringness is going to be enough here, given the Eagles are up and down. But uh, you you gotta go with the the. The, the in, I mean, not necessarily informed team, but the team that's shown more this season. Certainly the, the Eagles' ceiling is higher than the Titans' ceiling, and if both teams play to their peak, the Eagles should win. The, the question is just, will the Eagles be able, the best Eagles be able to show up? Yeah, I think, like, if I'm the Eagles, the target you're looking for is 30. If they can score 30 points, they will definitely win this game. Like, Tennessee are just a 20 to 30-point team every week, it feels like. And I think this is a game, you know, with Jeffrey Simmons and the, the interior defensive line, I think running could be quite difficult for this Philly team. So this is a week that you really want to see Jalen Hurts show up and get outside the pocket and make some big plays. Like A.J. Brown um, is coming off a, an illness. Hopefully he's back to form after a week of recovery. Devonta Smith is there. Quez Watkins is making some plays. So they have playmakers there, even with Dallas Goddard from the tight end position. So uh, I really think it's a week that Jalen Hurts needs to take it on his, on his, on his back and be able to throw the ball effectively. Obviously, the rushing game will be important, but I think passing the game is what they need to be able to do properly this week if they're going to be a solid Tennessee team. Yeah, yeah. Next up, Denver at Baltimore. Going for Baltimore. Across the board, Ronan. Um, yeah, yeah, Denver. Denver. Just, like I think it was like someone said that Denver would only have like two losses uh, this season if they scored more than 18 points per game. Um, so <laughs> Denver's offense is just the worst ever. And even though I've, Baltimore I've, I've, have, I've got, I've got a nice stat that comes up. So the Broncos rank dead last in points per game, points per drive, red zone DVO day, the 31st in special teams EPA. They lead the league in penalties, including a league most 26 combined delay of game and false start calls. Fuck me. Like, yes, it's just awful, awful, awful. And uh, the defense is okay. But like, look, Baltimore, you know, this is a game you should just go out and hockey these guys, right? Like, I know the ball, the Denver defense is good, so they've had been some kind of close-ish games, but if you can go out and leash up the score like Carolina did, this will be an easy win. Yeah, and just not have another week where win. you wibble and wobble and do stupid stuff. Just have a solid game and get some of the fate back. Yeah, next up, Washington at the New York Giants. We've gone for Washington across the board. We're getting sweat back this week, aren't we? Uh, so Chase may be back for this. So I don't know. Well, so like Chase, that, sorry, yeah, so that, was that, that, that might make a difference in the passing game, but it's really mm. the rush game that they Washington have just clamped down all season. So it's really tough for the Giants if they're not able to run the ball and they're relying on Daddy Dimes to make plays to, you know, the random wide receiver that's playing this week. Um, then it's going to be tough. And I think this Washington defensive line has been really good at stopping the run. So mm. Washington right now are the form team. Heineke's playing okay he's big better than Carson Wentz they're running the ball better each week it feels like um they're really sticking to the run even when it's not that efficient so it feels like this probably won't be a blowout but uh, the Giants are lacking something right now and the Danny Dimes experiment is slowly becoming what we thought it would be which is basically a failure uh, yeah. but the Giants defense is good enough it'll probably be a kind of close tight game so the Giants definitely have a chance but 
Washington are the form team and, and should probably get it done here and, and take another yeah. step towards the playoffs. Heineke hype. Yeah, I mean, Washington are a team in the up and the Giants are a team in the down. And I mean, it seems like, and it's hard to explain because I just don't know how they've won seven games a season, but the, the, that Washington definitely seemed to have found a, a formula that works and they're sticking to it. Whereas the Giants feel like the formula that they had working was figured out two or three weeks ago and it's not working anymore. Yeah. Um, next up, Jacksonville at Detroit. We've got for Detroit across the board, Sean. We don't think Trevor Lawrence can do it a second time? Well, it's it's more that the team that they're facing. I mean, these, these are two teams that are very close to my heart. Uh, they're both two teams of the future that are coming together after being dog shit for years. But I just feel that the Lions, and I, we probably all do, are a little bit further along in their evolution than the Jags are. The Jags... Last week was it was a was a great performance, a, a good kind of fight to the death and and be brave and you know all all the good things that happen in football and certainly feels they're a team that is a light year away from the the Urban Meyer experience, but it still fight, feels that they're kind of a team that's still trying to figure out who they are, putting the pieces together, and they're still a team that you know is vulnerable in certain ways, and if they don't have Etienne, they they do lose a certain level of potency, whereas the the Lions are. I mean, they they they're three and one in the last four games, and they probably could have even be four and zero had it not been for Josh Allen turning up in the last twenty three um, seconds. Their offense is firing at all cylinders with their big pieces back, and the defense is figuring out how to not concede thirty five points a game, and they're getting better at every week. So for me, the Lions are just at that step beyond where the Jags are. But this is a very fun game. This should be a fun game between two fun teams that I'm just gonna be interested to watch to see how how far they are along on, in their on their respective journeys. Yeah. Next up, we have Pittsburgh at Atlanta in a game of, my God, these people are still just about in the running somehow, are they? Um, yeah, Atlanta, it's... yeah. Pittsburgh, yeah, not really. Yeah, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh are roughly as live as, like, the Browns are and stuff, right? Like, they're the yeah. same. But not really. You know, like, yeah. like, uh, like technically. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, so I've gone for Pittsburgh. You guys have gone for Atlanta. Like, the obvious question is, Atlanta are basically just their running game because their quarterback isn't really much of a quarterback. Um, can, you know, Pittsburgh stop that? I would imagine they can, but it's a, it's a question of can they do it consistently throughout the game uh, or will they be able to break stuff off? My question is really what version of the Pittsburgh offense is going to show up because we've seen some positive notes from Pickett, particularly passing to Pickens, and they've looked a little bit better of late, but still it's kind of like, it's more that you get little runs of five minutes where it looks great and then 10 minutes where there's not much happening. I'm imagining this will not be a particularly high-scoring game that the defense will get the best of it, and that's why I'm going for Pittsburgh in it. But to be honest, they said Atlanta are one of those just dumb, 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 chaotic teams. So, like, yeah, I can see why you guys are backing them for it. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all I really want to say about that one. Uh, Chargers at Vegas. We've gone for Chargers across the board. Um, yeah, like... Is the Vegas of every other week going to be there or the one from last week when Josh Jacobs went for 600 yards or whatever? Like, that's that's the big question. And Herbert, like, can the... We, we, we discussed several times this season already about the problems that I have with the coaching staff here. But, like, can Herbert just put it on? This is not a great defense in Vegas, so he should be able to have a bit of fun with them down the line. He's got most of his receivers back healthy, so should have a bit of fun there. Um, the problem is if Josh Jacobs is feeling super cyan again, this Chargers team does not know how to stop the run. 
Yeah, it's just oh, these are just two teams you just can't trust to do anything. Um, and I, I find, kind of feel we can trust the charge a little bit more. They're 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 losing their chargerness a little bit more with every advancing week. I mean, I I agree with you that there are question marks uh, over Staley and the and the general coaching trajectory. They're not making the most of what is a quite a talented team, but they're they feel like less of a dumpster fire than the, the, the Raiders do. I mean, obviously the Raiders have the occasional. They do have talent. They do have the. The ability to have good games, but I, I, it's weird to say I trust the charge a little bit more to be consistent and to be able to win games back to back weeks and to turn up regularly. Uh, whereas the the Raiders are mostly bad and then very slightly occasionally good. Yeah, like I, I definitely wouldn't count Vegas out here. Like just, you know, technically, Chargers only have to shut down two people. They have to shut down Devontae Adams and shut down josh jacobs but their run defense has been terrible their defense has given up big plays so i like the wide receiver ones over the course of the season so defensive genius brandon staley has not really been able to do the basic things you need to do to make defenses work so look vegas could very much revert back to being the pumpkin they have been for a lot of the season but they're on a two-win uh run now i suppose for lack of a better term um but stumble you know, i would say but sure yeah but like you know i think the chargers are always good for a loss or two no matter what the situation is, but versus a Vegas team that could be billing into something to get done. But like Vegas have been equally capable of losing games. So mm. this could very easily be a very dumb game, but for the Chargers, they need to keep these wins going. Cause if they don't, that, you know, they could fall out of the playoff run pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, Chiefs at Cincinnati. This is my pick of the week. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mentioned when we were discussing the Cincy game beforehand, like I think the Cincinnati defensive backfield is going to be an issue for them in this one. Um, now look, Chiefs have a couple of people banged up. They're not at full strength on the wide receivers, but I'd still imagine this is going to be one where they can get that going. I'd be intrigued to see how they try and run the split between pass and run, given, you know, one of the problems that they hit beforehand was that they just wouldn't run on Cincinnati. Um, so we'll see how that happens. And to anyone out there who keeps going, oh, this is a revenge game because of the thing, it's not. This is the regular season. It will be great to win. It doesn't matter until we play them in the playoffs. That's the only time that you get to actually get that back, you know? Um, but yeah, this is, it'll be interesting because I think that Burrow should be able to keep up with the Chiefs in this game to a certain extent. They'll have Chase back. That means that they'll have three good passing options plus the tight end, plus Mixon should hopefully be back as well. So there'll be plenty of pieces to defend. Chiefs' defensive backs are getting a bit healthier now. Trent McDuffie is back in. The Jerry Sneed played really well last week. So they'll be good. But like I'm not sure anyone really has the ability to just man up on, on, on Jamar Chase. We might need to double him, you know? Um, and at that point, then you'll leave someone open. So... I think this will be a tough game. I think Cincinnati will be raring to go for it. I definitely could see this being one that we that we drop. Just at the moment, on the form Chiefs are in, I think they're coming in absolutely ready for this game. And I think some of last week's, we'll say, like kind of pedestrianness, I think was that they were half looking past a depleted Rams team and looking straight at the guys who beat them twice last year and uh, and and wanting to get ready for that. And what I hope is that that doesn't mean that they fuck up and and and, and make overthink themselves in it. But um, yeah, I'm going to back the Chiefs in this one. I think you guys are with me. But uh, what anything else you think would be be, be relevant? Well, the revenge game narrative kind of puts to mind uh, uh, paraphrasing the M Bison quote from the Street Fighter film. It's like. You know, <laughs> For you, this was the most important game of your life. For us, it was our fourth AFC championship. Yeah. Like. <laughs> but yeah, like, look, the Chiefs are in, in hot, hot form right now. They've obviously reached a different level of offense than they had last year as they've adapted to not having Tyreek Hill. Obviously, you know, the big 
question for Cincinnati is can they shut down Travis Kelsey? They don't really have a Jalen Ramsey just follow him around the entire game. So you'd have to probably say not. So that's going to be an issue, particularly in the red zone. Uh, I think they can probably keep the run game pretty quiet, whether that happens to be Isaiah Pacheco or Jared McKinnon or, or Melvin Gordon, whoever. So it will probably come onto the arm of Patrick Mahomes, but that's been true for much of this year. And the defense in particular for KC has been pretty good. Chris Jones is having a great year. Um, so I could definitely see them getting pressure on Burrow. So Burrow's going to have to, similar to last week, really put the game on his back. But... You know, the Spangles should get Joe Mixon back in this game. They should get Jamar Chase back in this game. So they do become a different factor with those guys back in the lineup. And yeah, the schematic stuff they did last year, I don't think that would work against, against Mahomes. I guess beyond that. So, you know, I think the, the Bengals will have to score a lot of points to keep in this game. But it should be a really exciting matchup and certainly one that will be laying down a marker if the Bengals can get a win here. Yeah, it'll be a fun game and probably high scoring. But I just... I can't trust those Cincy, that Cincy secondary to keep up with what's going on. I mean, that, yeah, if the Titans can cause some problems, I can only imagine what the Chiefs uh, are going to do. Um, and on the other side, I mean, Burrow's great and everything, and having the pieces back is great and everything. But yeah, it's a question. It's a question of keeping keeping score and keeping and keeping count, and I just can't see it happening. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, 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 I could because I can also. The Chiefs are normally good to take the eye off the ball and drop a game like this so I was always thinking this one or the Seattle game might be the one that will happen on but uh, yeah let's see let's see next up Seattle at the Rams uh, we're all going for Seattle because quite frankly the Rams are a husk um, yeah yeah like I think I think this is a game where you could very easily should see Seattle get back on track obviously after losing to Vegas who are obviously supposed to be a bad team as well um but, you know, it's been quite concerning. The odd defense has been a huge issue. So, look, it's Perkins and no run backs and it's 2-2 Atwell. Like, it should be a chance for them to get back right, not give up too much points. And Geno Smith's been good enough to put up at least 20 points or so against the defense, particularly if Aaron Donald is out. Um, so everything's lining up for Seattle to have a win here. But they do generally have a hoodoo against uh, the Rams. They don't, they don't do well against the Rams. So I'm not giving it 100%. I'm a little bit nervous in the back of my mind. But everything says Seattle should win this team, given how bad the Rams are and how basically broken they are at this point in the season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, Miami at San Francisco. This is your pick of the week, Roland. Me and Sean have gone for Miami, and you've gone for San Francisco. Yeah, and I'm going for San Francisco basically on the fact that it's likely Miami will be missing their two tackles, offensive tackles. I think what we've seen this year is that Ron Armstead has missed a couple of games, and in those games, Miami has taken a huge step back on the offense. Like, you know, Tua has played really, really well. But Tua is not a guy I necessarily believe can kind of make something from nothing and kind of get it out of a jam when he's put under pressure extremely quickly. And now you're going up against one of the best defensive lines in the league, one of the deepest defensive lines in the league in San Francisco. That's back to being where it should be. And a rest of the defense with people like Warner and Hufanga making plays from the linebacker and safety positions that they can definitely uh, make an impact on those kind of yards after the catch situations. But like, look, Miami have Tyree Kill. They have Jalen Waddle. Um, they have a solid run game uh, most weeks. So obviously I don't really disagree with picking Miami. I don't think it's a bad pick. But just that 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 matchup could be the big difference here. I think the big question for San Francisco and why uh, I'd say you guys aren't picking them is that what we saw last week in terms of offensive production was such a step back. What we've seen recently, if they put out like 16 points, I don't think they can win this game. But look, they're, they're now managing CMC's knees. Who could have predicted that? But they have Ayuk. He's playing well. They have George Kittle. He's getting back into form over recent uh, weeks. And Debo Mayer, like he, he's obviously playing hurt but he's still an explosive playmaker and then Jimmy G they have a guy who 
like the big thing that Shanahan needs to do is just stop him doing dumb things. Just kind of play safe and keep the ball rolling and just don't give up interceptions. But like Miami's defense this year has been mostly a paper tiger, to be honest. They haven't really had that great of a defense, I would say. And so this it does feel like a defense that San Francisco can pick apart over time. But like, look, both these teams, I think a week ago, we'd be really excited for this game. And yet, I think this week, it's like, oh, the flaws that exist in both these teams showed quite quite strongly um, in terms of injuries for Miami and now San Francisco with similar injuries, that this could be a little bit more of a dogfight than it would have been a couple of weeks ago. So, look, I'm going to get San Francisco based on that offensive tackle issue, but this could be a really close game and could be be really intriguing because I think being robust to injuries is probably something both these teams need given their history. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it falls down to whether CMC plays or not. I mean, I was, I was leaning towards SF a, a little bit, but, I mean, I, the Miami offense, I love what they're doing right now. Two is found a level that I didn't think he was capable of, even if I'm not necessarily bought into his full level of talent. He's got two really fantastic wide receivers to to, to throw to, and it's it's working at quite a high level. Whereas, as you say, San Francisco, they've, they had a really good three or four week stretch, but it feels like the momentum has been checked a little bit, and now the injuries are hampering. And if CMC isn't playing, I think that limits their offensive, um, the, their, their innovativeness, the things that they are capable of doing. I mean, I, I, I have big a lot of time for the, the Niners coaching and what they're capable of doing, but injuries has, have been killing this team for four or five years now, and I just feel like it's going to happen again, whereas the Dolphins feel like a team that, that knows who they are and have all the pieces in place that they need. Yeah, no, it, it should it should make for an interesting game. Like, I'm, I'm still a little more sceptical than Ronan is, I think, on the San Francisco offense, uh, whereas I do buy into the Miami offense at the moment, and I think that they are going to be hard to slow down, and that's why I'm going with them in the spot, and obviously, like we said, a couple of injury stuff as well. Uh, next up, we have Indianapolis at Dallas. Uh, we're going for Dallas across the board. Look, Dallas's two-headed running back crew seems to be absolutely wrecking stuff. They are running into tasty form. Their defense is still looking good. Micah Parsons is looking excellent. Um, they're also getting good performances out of Van Der Esch and the like. So the question is, what can Indianapolis do against them? And the answer is, I'm not sure, a wild pile. Matt Ryan, every time he moves off where he takes the snap from, uh, kind of looks like he's slowly but surely toppling downwards. Um, and this is a Dallas defense that I think is not going to allow him to stay in one spot and try and find someone to throw it to. Like, I think he's going to get moved and I think it's going to be a problem. Like maybe, maybe Taylor just gets going and they have a massive day out of him, but I find it very hard to see past Dallas in this one. So we've gone for Dallas across the board. And finally, Sean, uh, New Orleans at Tampa Bay. We've gone Tampa Bay all across the board, which surprised me because I was very half tempted to go with New Orleans in this one. Um, but yeah, yeah, tell us a bit. <laughs> Yeah, but they don't seem to have an offense at the moment. Uh, I mean, the, the the Dalton experiment. I mean, there's a weird statistical thing at the moment where apparently Andy Dalton is like ranked fifth best quarterback by PFF at the moment, which is just PFF a bizarre hacks. place. But you watch the actual <laughs> plays and, and you, you watch him underthrowing balls and, and missing receivers by miles, and you you you, you don't. It, it doesn't take long to understand why they they you know got you know have a couple of zeros in terms of the, the points on the board. I mean, obviously the books are not having a great season and they, I mean, Tom got the post-divorce bounce, but maybe that momentum is being checked a little bit. I mean, Mike Evans is having a terrible season and generally they're just making mistakes all over the place. It's not going to be a great game. And you do have to question that the books obviously have a bit of a hoodoo going on in terms of the, what the saints can do to them. But 
Yeah, I just think that the, the Saints just can't score points at the moment, and I think the Bucks are capable of scoring some points, albeit not a great deal. I mean, I think it's going to be a pretty poor game, but I, I have to I have to give the edge to the Bucks simply because they have the talent that the, the Saints just don't have. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, I, in fact, I always think there's a chance because Tampa Bay, like we said, are a little bit flippy floppy at the moment. But yeah, six zero win for New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> They, that would they, and and that would truly turn the NFC side into the the, the derpiest of all divisions. Yeah, it would be it would be a fun addition to it. Um, but yeah, uh, I suppose that'll, that'll do us for now. Any plans for the weekend, boys? Well, I'm as we said, I'm coming up to Dublin to uh, try on some suits and have some pints. And uh, yes, yeah, let's see, let's see where the night takes us. Likely sitting in your house, Connor, drinking beer. But. Yes. yes, yes, as I will have Doggy and uh, we can only leave him for so long. But that said, we can come here for some beers, then we can go down to the pub for some beers, and we can come back here for some more beers. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you guys enjoy that? Huh? Nothing too exciting for myself. i uh, probably watch some of the World Cup, but uh, other than that, keeping it pretty quiet for the for this week, I think. Oh, very good, very good. Yeah, as I said, got a few bits. I've got the first of the first of my Christmas parties upcoming this, uh, this Thursday, so it'll be fun uh the first of three i think i have so that'll be uh a nice a, a nice start into the festive season um but yeah no apart from that like i said sean coming up and that's about it uh well i suppose that'll do us for this week um so it's so bye from myself bye from ronan bye bye from sean bye it's been all four quarters thanks for listening and we'll chat to you next week